This is the Managing Smartly podcast with Kestrel Blackmore, show number five. You're listening to the Managing Smartly podcast, helping software developers become managers. If you're a software developer looking for advice on how to be a team leader or manager, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned as we interview developers who have already made the leap and look to gain insight on the mistakes and successes they have made along the way. Now here's your host. Hey there, welcome to show number five of the Managing Smartly podcast. Today I'm interviewing Rebecca Murphy. Rebecca has only recently transitioned from a developer into a technical lead, so you're going to get some useful insight on what the initial stages are like. Please make sure you listen to the end as I'm going to give you some information on the contest I'm running to coincide with the launch of the podcast. On to the show. Rebecca is a senior staff software engineer at Bizarre Voice, where she leads the development team working on the company's curations project. She has spoken at dozens of conferences around the globe on front-end development and is also the host of the TTL podcast. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. Now, it's great to have you on. So what is it currently that you do with yourself nowadays, Rebecca? Oh, gosh. Well, these days, like you said at the beginning, I am the technical lead of our curations team at Bizarre Voice. And so that's a full stack team, you know, working on everything from the pretty deep back end all the way up to the consumer facing front end. There's about 10 developers. I'm so bad at counting. Um, there's about 10 developers on that team with a wide variety of skills and backgrounds and, and such. And so I guess you would say that I am, I'm in charge of the, you know, seeing that we deliver what we say we're going to, working with my engineering manager to make that happen. I think we just clarified before that you're uh, the technical uh, lead on that uh, project or with, or with the company that you're with, I guess. Mm-hmm. But how did you, if we sort of look back, how did you first get involved in uh, in uh, computing or software development? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I mean, depending on how far back you want to go, like I got my... I'm one of those people who got their first computer when they were five, and that uh, was cool. that was when you plugged a computer into the back of your black and white TV and uh, loaded programs off cassette tapes. Like, <laughs> sure. What what did you have? Uh, the the Timex Sinclair. That's what it was. Wow. Yeah, I, I still have one. Um, it's pretty hilarious. Uh, it's in it's in my son's playroom, so he can like uh, know what it was like back in the olden days. But yeah, so I mean, I I always enjoyed computers and playing with computers and getting them to do things. My career kind of took a detour into um, print and desktop publishing and journalism a little bit for a few years, and then I got back into computing uh, through the web. You know, being able to make things that I could see on my own screen again and be able to share with people. So I got back into web develop. Got it back into programming through the web in, again, depending on how you count in the early 2000s. And I've been doing it professionally since, I think, 2006, five, 2005 or 2006. Okay, yeah. You, you've done a fair bit of, uh, you know, work in, well, you've been to, a, spoken to quite a lot of conferences <laughs> and stuff. One or two. So, yeah, yeah. So has it primarily been front-end development stuff that you've been involved in? Yeah, I mean, I think given that I took that detour into print, whether that was at ad agencies or to newspaper or whatever, I took that detour into print. I was always interested in the presentation of information to people. 
And so front-end development was a pretty natural place for me to go next. I wasn't necessarily interested in, you know, the back end of the data, all of that, but I was interested in how do you take that data and organize it and present it, and, and how do you as a creator of experiences create those experiences efficiently? And so that that kind of guided my path into front-end development. It was very natural for me to move from making things on a screen that ended up in print to making things on a screen that stayed on the screen. Yeah, that's that's good. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the conferences later on, but uh, my background when I was probing was sort of always back-end. So I had a sort of a um, – anyone who could do front-end stuff in my books, especially with the changing world, which is HTML, CSS, etc., was uh, – pretty amazing in, in, in my books. Uh, so, I mean, I could hack stuff together, but uh, I could only really copy stuff. I could never create anything of my own. So, tip my hat to you there. Yeah, it's, uh, it is a skill that um, definitely, I think, for a lot of us started out as a hobby and as something we kind of dabbled in and now has turned into a full-fledged career. It's kind of, kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a discipline unto itself. Yeah. So, tell us, how, how did you transition from developer to to tech lead or dev lead, how did that come about and, and how have you found it so far? It's the thing that happened very organically. I wouldn't say that there was any moment where I said, I want to be a lead. Um, most recently at, in my role at Bizarre Voice, it happened very, um, again, just very organically. I, was, I joined a team and that team had a lot of people on it who had been at the company for quite some time. And after I arrived, one by one, um, they decided to move on. And, and it was very natural and very reasonable for them to, to move on. They had been with Bizarre Voice for a while. And so I ended up just being in a position where this team needed leadership. We were hiring new people, and we needed to get those new people up to speed. And it wasn't just about teaching them, you know, how to how to JavaScript. It was also about teaching them how to be part of a team and how to ship quality software. And so eventually my boss said, you're officially the lead. But it was something that happened um, just much more naturally uh, long before anyone said that that was my job. It was kind of my job. And I think, I think that I've always, um, I like to, I like to understand the state of the world and, and where the world is a project or the world is a software system or whatever. I like to understand the state of things and I like to you know, optimize that state and see how, see how we're going to get from this state to some future state where we've delivered a feature or fixed a bug or improved the code base or whatever. So that's always just been, that's just in my nature. And I think that that has, has made me kind of end up being in some kind of leadership position, whether anyone said I should be or not. For sure. It's, it seems to be a bit of a common theme that people, well, obviously, you know, there's, there's the technical path and then there's sort of the management path. They seem to be the two common streams that occur when you're in software development. Uh, and most people just tend to organically or just fall into sort of the management path. Was there any sort of in the back of your mind, I use the term, you know, going to the dark side? 
you know, once once you sort of take up a leadership position. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, that's something I'm still struggling with. You know, daily. I the, the role that I was just talking about was a role that I kind of fell into back in mid 2014. So now it's late 2015, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, mid 2013. Um, and so now it's late 2015, and I, I I'm in a role like this again. It's a role that I chose and that I sought. Uh, so it's a little bit different, but it's still something that I'm struggling with because even then, you know, I found myself being less of an individual contributor and that means writing less code mm-hmm. and I'm still struggling with that. And I don't, there's, it's not so much like going to the dark side as it's what am I leaving behind and will I still be legitimate in the eyes of my peers? I don't think they're going to think I'm a bad person. I hope. <laughs> will I still be a legitimate software engineer in the eyes of my mm. peers as I get farther and farther away from writing code every day? And I feel this daily as I'm watching people who can solve nitty gritty technical problems better than I can because that's how they're spending their days and trying to figure out like, is that my job? Still? What is my job still? Yeah, it's that it's that whole balance, isn't it, uh, between leading the team, I guess, and yeah, you, yourself being a contributor, and uh, and the legitimacy, you know, in other people's minds, or possibly even in your own mind, on you know, on how people might perceive you. It's it's a good it's a good thought, actually. I mean, do you think technical people make and probably as far as you know, tech lead being technical is obviously pretty important, or even a um, development lead, but the higher you go up in management, do you think having a technical background is useful? For certain roles, absolutely. And I was actually just talking to um, the VP of engineering at Bizarre Voice about this the other day and just trying to understand, like, how do, how do you feel about this? You know, you're <laughs> so many levels above me. And how does it feel to you to you have this technical background, but you you don't know anymore how to step in and, like, solve very particular problems. And I think that, you know, I look at him, I look at, you know, my bosses between me and him, like all the all the people who are between me and him. And I think it's hugely important that they have a technical background because I count on them to be able to take the words that I say and translate them to people outside of the engineering organization. And if they can't do that, then they're not being good servants of their engineers. I think that's just hugely important, and I'm constantly impressed by people who can do that, who can take something very technical and understand not just the technical risk or the technical challenges, but the business challenges, the prioritization challenges, and synthesize that into something that they can go represent to someone who isn't technical. Uh, I think it's you have to be technical in order to do that. Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd agree with you there. It's just I even know if I found it myself when I was a developer, if I had a uh, manager who had a development background, it you just naturally seem to have more respect, whether that's a right, whether that's right or not. But you just sort of feel a, a closer affinity, I guess, with someone who's been in the trenches before and knows what it's sort of like developing software. I think that the challenge for them can be for for the the manager who has the technical background can be to step away 
and to let the yes. team do what the team needs to do and to realize that you have that technical background, but that doesn't mean that you should necessarily be writing code every day. Figuring out how to use that appropriately. On the other hand, you know, the, the manager that I work with right now, my immediate boss, has a very technical background and is absolutely able to step in and be that extra pair of eyes or pair of hands sometimes to get us through something really challenging. So having that that level of technical ability for a manager who is directly managing engineers, I think, is, is pretty cool and also potentially valuable. That's good. So you, I read, um, you read an article recently on your blog uh, entitled Five Questions, and it sort of dovetails in with this quite nicely. Uh, so can you sort of explain a little bit what that was about? Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was about a very real experience that I had the day that I wrote that article. Um, <laughs> where, and it's funny because in, in hindsight, we didn't do a super great job of evaluating the risk of the decision that we were making that day. And it led to some, <laughs> it led to a few issues uh, the next day. But um, so that, that post was just about the experience that I've been having. Uh, you know, my skills are in front end, my experience is in front end. And now I am the technical lead of a full stack team. And so I'm finding myself having to understand and make kind of risk uh, assessments of decisions about technology that I don't, I understand, but I don't know. And so that post was just kind of the, a post about the thought process that I'm going through as I make those decisions and the, what I'm realizing about the questions that you can ask about pretty much any technical decision and get some baseline understanding of the risk associated with that decision and, and get the information that you need to be able to make a decision about go or no go with this thing. So um, that, that's what the post was about. That's been a really interesting challenge for the current role that I have. And it's actually why I sought this role was I wanted to have exactly this challenge of, you know, I've been at Bizarre Voice for almost three years. I've been exposed to far more than front end technology. Now, can I be effective in leading technology beyond front end? Yeah. One of the things with as you go further into management, is you're obviously abstracted a certain level away from the technical aspect, but you're right. That article is actually really good. It's got some good tips on the questions that you should be asking. And, and a lot of the, quest, the questions are around you, know, like risks, have we thought, what could possibly go wrong, et cetera, et cetera. So make sure, I'll put it in the show notes, but make sure you check that article out, guys. But yeah, as a developer, typically those are not the type of questions that they're thinking about. But as management, where you're sort of trying to operate at a higher level of extraction or from more possibly a business perspective, those questions are a gold to be to be looking at, especially when you don't know the technical aspects, uh, as you're mentioning, and, and the trust that you have to have in people. So what's some of the, the toughest aspects you've, you've found since sort of moving into this sort of more leadership position? Um, you know, you just said the word trust, and... That's a that's a huge challenge for me. I really like the people that I work with, and they're so smart and so good. And yet, my brain can have a really hard time trusting. It's it's not about the people. It's not about it has nothing to do with the people or my belief in them. But I have a hard time sometimes just trusting that 
people will do the right thing if I don't have my hands on everything. And so like that's that's mm-hmm. been the challenge has been knowing when to step away and just trust that things will take care of themselves. And I think that's been in this current team. Uh, this current team is so very different from the first team that I was leading at Bizarre Voice. The first team I was leading at Bizarre Voice, like I said, was an almost entirely new and reasonably junior software engineers. And so the the kind of trust equation was very different with them. I, I needed to trust them at some level, but not at a super high level. It was important that I was being um, – really staying on top of what was going on across the project and that was my job and uh, it was important but it was also important for me to know when to step back but it was just a different team on this team again like I said this is a team that was functioning without a lead but functioning reasonably well and with some great and experienced software engineers with it with skills that I don't have and so it's it's been a real learning and growing experience for me to figure out what parts to bring from my former role and what parts to leave behind and what can I generalize about these two. And I've only been in this new role for three months or so, and I'm still, I'm still figuring that out. And the the trust equation is probably the biggest part of that, figuring out what's different here and and when to, when to step away. Yes. And that whole aspect of, how much detail do you go into, you know, the, the 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 typical, you know, micromanagement thing as opposed to sort of letting the experts do what they do uh, and you're having to focus more on the strategic stuff, I guess. Is, is that a fair enough comment? Yeah, and I, I think I'm also trying to figure out um, how strategic to be and how much to still be in the trenches, maybe helping push a particular piece through, um, you know, this is a team that's working on many different projects and some I can contribute to and some I can't. Some the best thing for me to do is just trust and some the best thing for me to do is to get my hands dirty and get in there and contribute code. And so, yeah, I also need to be careful that I'm not veering into the territory of the engineering manager. Um, there is some there's some stuff that is absolutely his job and he's way better at it than I am. And it can be challenging to kind of figure out where that where that line is so I'm not getting too far into the strategic. And so he and I are talking very frequently, just, just like constantly level setting about where that line is and how I can help him and not not uh, be disruptive. And and we were having a conversation the other day. He was and, and he said like, I'm not saying that your job is to make my job easier and then he said wait a minute. No, actually your job is to make my job easier. That is your job. Um, and so always make the boss look good. Yeah. And and I, I, he's a, he's a good friend and I really enjoy working with him, but that's, that's the thing that we're still figuring out, um, is how to, where those lines are and how can I do my best to make his job easier and not make his job harder. Yeah. This is really good. So you're, I mean, the podcast is all about helping software developers become managers, but obviously there's steps in there. And, you know, obviously the, the next step up from a developer is tech lead or, or, or dev lead, mm-hmm. which is an interesting position. So tell me, talk to me about how there's a difference from, you know, a developer position to that next dev tech lead type of position. What's the differences? I think as a, as a technical lead, I am thinking a lot more about air quotes here, the business. 
right? I'm thinking a lot more about trade-offs. I'm thinking a lot more about how can we get this done as technically well as possible while also meeting the business needs. So on the one hand, I'm the advocate to the business for no really we can't just hack this together. This is the risk if we hack this together. On the other hand, I'm the representative of the business to the developers saying, that's cool. That's a great idea. We don't have six months. We have six weeks. <laughs> so let's yeah. revisit this. So I'm kind of that. And I think the, the dev manager, the engineering manager rather, is also um, kind of in that role. So I do that maybe on a more micro level and he does that maybe on a more macro level. But I think that that's the difference between a developer and a, and a tech lead is that they're thinking now about trade-offs. And not just technical trade-offs, but bigger picture trade-offs and constantly kind of evaluating risk. And to some extent, they have a picture of the whole system, the whole state of the the development system. I don't mean the, the, the technical system. I mean... We have this in progress. We've committed to this. We, you know, this, we found some bugs yeah. with it. And so that's going to have to go back to development. And that puts this at risk. Like just a, a, a picture of the state of the system and, and kind of an ear to the ground to say, that one story is taking him a long time. How, I probably ought to step in and figure out what's up, what's up about that. Individual developers are probably never thinking about any of these things. Yeah, they're more thinking about this is my feature, this is how I need to get it done, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas what you're talking about there is having a more overall project idea of what's occurring. Yeah. I think it's super important too that the the technical lead have a really close relationship with the engineering manager. They are on the one hand there's a boss and employee relationship there, but that may be true on paper, but in reality, it needs to be much more of a partnership. And, and that's another thing that may not exist um, to the same extent between an engineering manager and an individual contributor. Yeah, that's a good thought, actually. So what role do you think soft skills have to play in all of this? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> a lot. A lot. I think communication becomes tremendously more important um, the ability to communicate clearly about things the ability to know when to not communicate something I'm not always great at and the ability to know and this is also a thing I'm working on the ability to know when to how to get an engineer to do the right thing right and as an individual contributor you might just write something in a pull request that says oh you should you know do it this way as a tech lead, you are starting to veer into management and you aren't just managing the, the project, but like you're a little bit more responsible for the people and how they feel, how they feel about their job. And so, yeah, soft skills are huge. And that's an area where I have some and I lack others. I'm still working on that as well. Yeah. So I would think that the whole, because one component of soft skills is having good, good communication skills that your involvement in speaking at conferences would possibly have helped you there? Yeah, I, speaking at conferences has taught me how to distill something down to its kind of essential parts. Um, and it's taught me how to think about, a, think about a concept or think about an idea in a way that I can share it with people who aren't familiar with that idea. I think the speaking at conferences has really helped me in my communication up and 
it also has helped me in my communication when I'm communicating broadly. So, you know, every week at work we have a lunch and learn, and I presented at those lunch and learns, that kind of thing. So that skill has helped me establish myself as an authority and as a as a knowledgeable person, as a subject matter expert. I don't know that it has helped me very much as far as managing out and down. I don't think it gives it has given me a whole lot of skills in that regard, except maybe in an ability to explain things. Um, but that's more mentoring and less managing. So, yeah, I think that has helped me up, but not necessarily sideways or down. And I'm using air quotes. I wish you could see me with all of these. I hate to talk about like up yeah, yeah. and down and and all, like we're all people and we're all peers on, on the org chart is is what I mean. Yeah, the whole aspect, because obviously the other side of the soft skills is is managing people. And that's a completely different ball game. I remember, you know, a computer's doesn't get an attitude with you, doesn't misinterpret things that you say to it, you know, just basically does what you want. Whereas when you're dealing with people, it's a whole different ball game. So, is there any? How are you sort of equipping yourself in regards to that side of things? I think that. Uh, a big part of it is just seeking out mentors, people who I think do this well, and having really frank conversations with them about what's hard and what advice they have for me. And this is another place where uh, I hate to keep talking about my engineering manager, but he's been really extraordinary in giving me very tangible, actionable feedback, even when it is critical feedback uh, he delivers it really well and in a, in a way that isn't, um, I, I just, it's so easy to see like, oh, I need to do that. And these are such soft topics that we're talking about that can be a really hard thing. So that's been really helpful, um, to be having, you know, really regular conversations with him about how to, how to be better at this. And other people as well. There, there are other people at Bizarre Voice who I really look up to and who I think do this well and talking to them about it and how it's, what's hard about it and how they do it better. I wish I could say, oh, I read this great book, but no, I have yet to read a great book about any of this. Um, I think a lot of it is just talking to other people about their experience and then figuring out how to apply that experience because this is not a thing where you can just, this is not a, you know, a software pattern that you can just take and apply to your own project. This is you have to figure out how to what your personal interpretation of these things is going to be and how it can be authentically you. You know, you don't want to go start mimicking your boss. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? Having a mentor is such a valuable thing, and because you're right, there is not there's not a lot of information out there regarding management. And again, I, I'll put that in air quotes so that our <laughs> listeners can know what I mean. Management in a software development context. Plenty of stuff about management in general, uh, but I, I sort of think that we're a bit of a, a bit of a different breed, uh, so there has to be sort of a bit of a different spin around it. So uh, it's interesting what you said about having a manager. Quickly, you got any uh, mistakes or hard lessons you've learned along the way that you'd like to share? Everything that I just said would make you think that, that I, I know this well, but I don't always know well. Like these are, there are real people involved with real feelings, and this is like comments on the pull request or GitHub or whatever is like. Whereas that works as an individual contributor, being a member, being a, a lead of a team in whatever capacity means that you just have to be so much more thoughtful about the people. 
I don't know that I've made any, I don't know. I probably have made mistakes. I absolutely have made mistakes in that regard where I have acted like an individual contributor and not acted like someone who is, is really here to help the team do its best. Um, so I don't want to like say specific mistakes there, but definitely I have made mistakes in that regard. Um, and that's the thing I'm still working on that these are, that this is a long game. This is not a game of like, how do we get this feature out, this feature out, and this feature out. This is a long game, and I need to be acting in the interest of the long-term happiness of the team, and yeah. and that's what matters. And that that's that's still a thing that um, I know I can sit here and say it and tell it to you, but to act in that way um, is still a thing that I'm learning. That's good. Let's divert for a little bit. So um, we've, been, we've talked about conferences a little bit now. So how did you get involved in speaking at conferences? I don't know. Um, I mean, I've always enjoyed – I mean, here I am talking to you. Like, for whatever reason, I enjoy talking about stuff to people. And so I've, it's a thing I've always just liked to do. I liked public speaking. I'm weird. And I spoke at my first conference in 2009 at the jQuery conference in Boston. And that was just like, I don't know, hubris, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I thought I was smart about stuff and I thought that other people should hear what I had to say. And <laughs> so I submitted a talk and I was getting to be a little bit well-known in the jQuery community just from a blog and from participating on IRC channels and stuff like that. And so um, they picked my talk and I gave my talk and that's how I got started. And then I was like, that was terrifying and really fun. I'm going to do that again and again and again and again and again. So Again, just sort of, yeah, it's sort of falling into your, yeah. falling into it. Yeah, now I'm much more, you know, I look back at that and just realize how how much I didn't know. <laughs> and which I, I think is a measure of, like, being good is the less confident you are that you are good, the more good you might be. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so back, yeah. back then I was like, I'm awesome at this. And then since then I've been really humbled to, from speaking, the people that I have gotten to talk to and, and have access to, um, definitely these days it's much more like, what am I doing here? Like, how do I get to be among these brilliant people? Back then it was like, I'm brilliant. I could talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think sometimes the ignorance is bliss is actually very true. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I guess that's sort of like all around branding and self-branding. How would you say that's played a role in your career, or if any, and if it's if you think it's something that is valuable for developers to be looking at? Oh, I mean, it's huge, and I hate that it's huge, but it's huge. Every job that I've had has been, every job that I've had since talking at that conference has been, I can draw a pretty straight line from my speaking or my presence in the community to getting that job. Mm-hmm. Certainly the, the job that I uh, have now, I was interested in and got that job because I was friends with Alex Sexton. I met Alex Sexton in Boston in 2009. Um and, you know, later we went on to have a podcast together. Like, there's so much uh, 
that I can draw a very straight line, not even to the speaking, but to being a presence in the community. And that presence back in 2009, 2008 was on IRC. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's because of IRC and the reputation I developed there of being a helpful and knowledgeable person that I started to grow this whole network of people that, yeah, has absolutely helped me, not just helped me get jobs, but helped me when I have a hard problem to solve um, or when I need a connection at this company or whatever. Like, it's a, I want to be careful of saying, like, it's a personal branding effort because personal branding is kind of a side effect of creating useful content. You're adding value to the community. Yeah, add value to the community and you you are granted a brand as a result. Um, and then that brand helps you. But I I didn't set out to, you know, create a brand. I enjoy sharing knowledge and sharing content and by doing that I became a person that people know. Yeah, adding value to the community in the long run should always help your career. So it's good to hear your take on that. You mentioned the podcast before. Tell us a little bit about the, the TTL podcast. Yeah, the TTL podcast is a project um, that I did earlier this year. There are just 10 episodes, and that was kind of my goal for the first series, and maybe there will be another series. We'll see. It's 10 episodes about front-end uh, ops, front-end, not just front-end engineering, um, not just front-end code, but the kind of operationalization of front-end applications. So I talked to people from Etsy, from the Financial Times, from The Guardian, from um, Discuss, and lots of other places that I'm forgetting right now, um, just about, not not about just how they do front-end development, but about how they have kind of institutionalized front-end development across their organization and how they're thinking about things like performance and how they're thinking about things like sharing code across front-end applications or sharing front or sharing functionality across front-end applications. So it was a really fun, it was a topic that I was really interested in. And again, I feel so humbled and lucky to be in a position where I can call up these brilliant people and say, mm. will you talk to me for an hour about these things? Uh, I got to speak with Ilya Gregoric uh, about HTTP2 and he like literally wrote the book about HTTP2 and like wow. I'm getting to have an hour long sit down with him. So it was great. Uh, TTLpodcast.com. Check it out. I, uh, I really did it for me and figured like, I might as well record this and uh, put it on the internet. Uh, but I, I did it so that I could get to, so that I had some some reason to call these people up and say, let's talk. And I feel really lucky about that. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Uh, that that mirrors heaps with what I'm doing with, the, <laughs> with managing smartly as well. So I hear completely what you're saying. So I'll add the show notes to the, to, to the podcast. But I guess from a, I mean, even from a technical point of view, you would have been, talking with these people and you're seeing lots of cool things or you're hearing about lots of cool things that would just expand your mind to other concepts. Yeah, and a lot of what we ended up talking about wasn't technical. Um, a lot of what we ended up talking mm -hmm. about was the politics of trying to impose you know, a new way of thinking about front-end development across an organization that might never have thought a whole lot about front-end development as a discipline. Mm. And so that was really interesting, too, just talking about the strategies that they use to effectively you know, distribute these ideas across the company that it 
it doesn't necessarily work as a top-down, like, you must do this, but much more a path of developing things, developing tools and, and systems that it was more painful not to use than it was to use. And that is very instructive. That has nothing to do with front-end ops. That's just smart. <laughs> um, and so that was very instructive for me and something that, you know, again, I'm not always good at it, but I know I should be. Yeah, instituting change, change management, dealing with people's fears and concerns. Yeah. Yeah, I can see a future podcast in that. <laughs> so sort of sort of coming back more to, um, to topic, what would be your suggestions for someone who is about to take their first tech lead, dev lead, team leader position? I mean, first and foremost, you, you got to want it. Don't do this because somebody thinks it's a good idea or because it like seems like the next logical progression for you. Like you will be miserable if this isn't a role that you want. Um, I think that would go for uh, transitioning from my role to engineering management too. You know, don't do this if you don't if you don't think you want it. That's probably my biggest advice. My second piece of advice would be to find a mentor who's done this before and make sure that you're talking with them regularly and kind of level setting about what it is you should and shouldn't be doing. And that can be different from one company to another. You know, our concept of tech lead at Bizarre Voice might be very different from the concept at another company. And so preferably you want to find someone in the company who's been in that role and basically talk to them a lot <laughs> mm. uh, and find out kind of what the expectations are and how they've solved some, some of the challenges that you're going to run into. And then the last thing I would say, and this is something that I did do well, I think before I took this role is understand what the people around you want from you, because that's ultimately your job is to help them do their job better and to do it in a way that, you know, everyone benefits. They benefit. The business benefits. Um, you know, your job is to increase the like goodness of the team, <laughs> whatever that mm -hmm. means. It's kind of up to you to talk to your the manager and talk to the team about like what do you need, what's hard for you, and to get in there and figure out how to how to fix and change those things. So a lot of listening um, and trying to distill that down to actions that you can take to make things better. That's great. That's excellent advice there. Uh, so I think we're pretty much close to wrapping this up now. Uh, thanks heaps for your time. But is there anything I haven't asked but I should have asked that you can think of? Now that I can think of, I mean, I'm <laughs> still figuring a lot of this out myself, like I've said. So it's actually really useful to get to talk about all of this with you and, and clarify my ideas. So I'm really glad you're doing this, and I'm looking forward to listening to what other people say because I think I have a lot to learn from them too. I think we can, we can all learn lots. <laughs> so, so finally, um, what is it that you do when you're not, not at work or solving IT problems? <laughs> um, so I have a two-year-old son, a little over two. Um, I'm spending a lot of my non-work time with him, um, he's at that stage of like, he's got a lot to say and you can see him making connections for the first time about all kinds of things. So I'm having just a ton of fun 
getting to be there to to see that happening uh, yeah that that isn't always necessarily like super exciting uh from a like we may just be out in the yard jumping on the trampoline kind of thing but uh just seeing him figure stuff out is so rewarding and pretty much how I spend most of my not work time these days. Yeah, kids definitely make you sort of have a different perspective and make you sort of look forward to coming home from work. I mean, yeah. That's, that's been my experience. <laughs> yeah, for for sure. Um, there's a whole new, whole new motivation to get home and to not be working on the weekends and those sorts of things. Um, yeah. Because he's, uh, he's a bunch of fun, so... Excellent. So where can we go to find out more about you, Rebecca? So I've got a blog, um, rmurphy, M-U-R-P-H-E-Y, dot com. And uh, I write stuff there now and then. I'm on Twitter as rmurphy. And, uh, you know, I'm on the Internet as rmurphy pretty much everywhere. And also, like like we said, check out the TTL podcast because that, like, Again, I just feel lucky I got to do it, and I think you might enjoy listening listening to that if you're into front-end development. That's great, and I'll make sure to put all those uh, those things that you mentioned just then into the show notes. Well, finally, uh, thanks, Rebecca, for being on the show. Yeah, yeah, no, it's been really good, and uh, I look forward to uh, seeing your career progress. Well, thank you so much. It's been really great talking to you. Excellent. Thanks, Rebecca. Wow, what a fun interview. It was refreshing to talk with someone who's in the initial stages of leading other developers. Like others, Rebecca mentioned the struggle of balancing leading with being a contributor. I was also intrigued with her thoughts on personal branding being a side effect of providing great content. For the show notes and links to the sites Rebecca mentioned, head over to www.managingsmartly.com forward slash five. That's the number five. If you're listening to this in early 2016, you'll also find details of the contest I'm running to coincide with the launch of the podcast. So please make sure you check the show notes. Until next time, remember to manage smartly. Thanks for listening to the Managing Smartly podcast, where we're all about helping software developers become managers. Check us out at www.managingsmartly.com.